Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Johnny Dollar. This is Harry Branson at Philadelphia Mutual Life and Casualty Company. Oh, hello, Harry. What's with you? John, I have a case I'd like you to handle for us. It's, uh, well, it's somewhat unusual. Have you ever handed me one that wasn't completely screwy? I said unusual. And I said screwy. So now that we understand each other, what's it all about? Well, absolutely nothing yet. Uh, but I'm very apprehensive about one of our clients. Oh, Harry, you're the biggest worrywart I ever knew. Uh, what was that? I said, who is this client? Oh, uh, Dr. Walter Merrill. Merrill? The scientist? That's right. Nobel Prize winner? The man who worked out the molecular orbital contraction, something or other? Yes, yes, that's the one. As I say, John, I'm worried. Well, who wouldn't be about him? I'll be right down to see you. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Philadelphia Mutual Life and Casualty Insurance Company in Philadelphia, where else? Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the clever chemist matter. Expensive transportation and incidentals, Hartford to New York to Philadelphia. I didn't even stop to check my bag, but headed directly for the Philly Mutual building on Walnut Street. Harry Branson is a good insurance man, but a great worrier. Nonetheless, he'd given me some pretty important tools. And after all, what do we live for? Hey, I keep the chin. Thanks, Doc. John? John, what took you so long? Oh, now, what's the matter, Harry? Forget to pay the rent on your office or just forgot the key? No, John, as a matter of fact, I have the key right... <clears throat> this is hardly the place for levity. Well, surely you haven't been waiting here on the sidewalk ever since you called me. No, I haven't, but by checking plane schedules, I was able to determine when you'd arrive almost to the minute and not wanting to waste time taking you upstairs to the office. Pretty urgent matter, huh? Well, you should be here shortly. What? Well, now, usually I arrange these things myself, Harry. Yes, and how we pay... Out of you. Oh, Harry, you touch me to the quick. Oh, now, please don't misunderstand me. I I don't mean that there's ever anything really dishonest about you your don't? expense account. Well, it's you only... ought to. Believe me, I'll pad it to the hill if I think I can get away with it. Anyway, the most important reason for engaging the car was so that you can leave immediate... Malaga? Yes, New Jersey. It's a... oh, is that where Dr. Merrill is? Yes, as is his custom. He chooses to work in some isolated spot where he can't possibly be disturbed. Uh, he and his colleague, that is. Colleague? I always heard that he worked alone, freelance. And you heard right. However, he now has a professor, Theodore Nash, with him. Nash? One of our... to Dr. Merrill. Never heard of him. John? They're working together on what I'm sure is some top-secret project. Oh. Oh, so wait. Didn't Merrill have something to do with the early rocket experiments? Precisely. 
Which is why I suspect their present work may have something to do with the space satellite or intercontinental missiles or something of the sort. Yeah, possible. Well, what has all this got to do with you? Their insurance. Dr. Merrill has had a policy with us for some years. $25,000. Oh, and probably he took out a policy for 10000 Beneficiary? Nash made Dr. Merrill his beneficiary. Oh, that sort of thing is often done between men working together. Harry, you know that. Yes, so that if anything happens to one, the other will be financially able to carry on what they've started. Sure, right. Which is no doubt why Dr. Merrill changed the beneficiary of his policy to Theodore Nash. So, what's the worry? No sooner was the change made than I received a letter of protest from Dr. Merrill's daughter. Who's she? Uh, Mrs. Howard Harding. She and her husband live in West Philadelphia. He's a welder for an aviation company, I think. Well, what did she base her protest on, Harry? She claims her father must have been coerced into changing the policy. Oh, now, wait a minute. That sounds like the hungry relative who complains about being cut out of the will. It might. If Mrs. Harding weren't a perfectly well-balanced, intelligent, and I'm sure quite unselfish person, a completely... Uh, is she good-looking? Well, yes. And uh, real sweet to you? Yes, she is a... Well, now, John, I don't know what you're trying to imply. Uh, I do it every time. John. Particularly when there's a bit of money involved. Good-looking insurance broker like you. And you're a bachelor, too, aren't you, Harry? John, you're pulling my leg. Oh, Harry. But then I guess we're all suckers for someone like that. That has nothing to do with it. I've had these hunches before, John, and they've always been right. Even you will have to admit that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll confess that in the cases I've handled for you so far... Why don't you call up Dr. Merrill? I think the quaint old fellow would die rather than have a phone near enough to disturb him in his work. Oh, oh, there's your rental car waiting at the curb. So off you go, John, and see what you can find out. Okay, Harry. It all sounds like a lot of nothing you're worried about, but as long as you're willing to pay for it. And I always did like South Jersey this time of year. I drove across the Delaware River Bridge into Jersey and headed for Route 45 to Westville, Woodbury, and finally Pittman, where I picked up Route 47. What Harriet said was true. These hunches of his had a remarkable way of panning out. And yet, oh, who was I to complain? After a pleasant hour's drive through cranberry bog and farm country, through miles of orchards and the intoxicating odor of the peach blossoms, I pulled into the quiet little town of Malaga. Population, oh, I'd say around 500. First stop, the post office. Uh, Dr. Merrill? Yeah, sure. You go back the way you came, about a mile, till you say, you see the name Wampus Bone. Wampus what? Wampus means cat. Bung, bungalow. Wampus bung. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, the doctor and the professor got the fourth cottage beyond it. White one with a fence around it. Yeah, good, thanks. And if you don't mind, you can uh, take their mail out to them. They haven't been in to pick it up for five days now. Oh, nothing wrong, is there? Well, who'd know the way those two keep themselves? Well, you'd think whatever they're working on was the atomic bomb. Yeah, well. Just to be sure, you let them know that you're at the gate now before you try to go through the fence. Oh, what's that supposed to mean? The professor sees you prowling around. He's liable to take a shot at you. As I drove back and toward the edge of Little Malaga Lake, the idea of getting shot at by anyone living in this peaceful, quiet place seemed ridiculous. The lake itself, by the way, looked pretty inviting. I made a mental note to come back here on my own sometime after the fishing season opened. As the postmaster had indicated, the fourth cottage beyond Wampus Bung was heavily fenced in. So I gave notice of my arrival. I had barely left the car when the door of the little cottage opened. Yes? Who, who is it? Dr. Merrill? Oh. oh, yes. My name is Dollar, sir. Johnny Dollar. 
Insurance investigator. Harry Branson? Yes, sir, that's right. Harry Branson sent me down here to see you. Oh, come in. Come in. I'm most, most glad to see you. Please, come into the house. All right, thank yes. you. Is uh, Professor Nash here? In the, uh, in the laboratory. But please As come he spoke, the, the sliding door in the garage at the side of the house opened. A rather swarthy man stepped out, quickly closed the door, and threw a heavy bolt on it. Then looked over toward us suspiciously. Yes, because it's better that you and I talk in, in private, alone. Doctor, who is that? Yeah. Oh. oh, yes, Professor. If we have a visitor, why do you not bring him here where we can both speak to him? Oh, oh, yes, yes, of course. This is Mr. Johnny Dollar, Professor Theodore Nash. Mr. Dollar? I do, Professor. I'm from your insurance company. Just uh, making a little routine checkup. Oh, fine, fine. I'm very glad to see you. As a matter of fact, I wish to talk with you. <laughs> How do you do? Now, come into the laboratory. Professor, do you, do you think it wise? Oh, of course, Doctor. Since he is not a man of science, I'm sure there is no harm in his seeing it. And... You have an experiment going, remember? But I wish to Mr. speak Dollar, to him Mr. Dollar, within these four walls, the genius of Dr. Merrill and my own poor efforts are creating things that will startle the world. Outside, the small building looked like an ordinary two-car garage, someone in need of paint and repair. But inside, it was immaculate and loaded with scientific equipment of all shapes and sorts and sizes. There were racks of test tubes, bottles of chemicals, beakers, a centrifuge... Machines and apparatus I'd never seen before, that I imagine much of the world never dreamed of. And all of it as neat as a pin, not so much as a stirring rod out of place. Ah, look, Doctor. The polymerization step is almost complete. Eh? Now, you must continue the molecular balance check immediately. Oh. Oh, yes, yes. And you must both leave me. This must not be seen by... By any yeah, We understand, hope, Doctor. We understand. I hope you will pardon me, Mr. Mr. Dollar. Yes, of course, Doctor. Oh, come, Mr. Dollar. Yes, I, I will lock the door. Yes. He, uh, he does require privacy, doesn't he? Yes. Oh, hey, you're not going to bolt that door, are oh, you? Oh, oh, of course not. <laughs> Force of habit, I guess. Oh, it is he who keeps things locked so tightly when he's working. Unnecessarily so. But then uh, genius is permitted his idiosyncrasies, huh? Harry Branson seems to think you two may be working on something to do with guided missiles. A uh, very perceptive man. But that is something we must not speak about. Now, <clears throat> why have you come here, Mr. Dollar? Well, like I said, just a routine checkup. We, uh... We usually do this when a sizable policy has changed. Oh, there is something unusual about two men working together on important things, insuring in each other's favor? Well, no. Uh, but when his daughter perhaps objects... You know Dr. Merrill's daughter? Oh, I know about her and about her unfortunate marriage to that, uh, that day laborer. Nothing wrong with day labor, Professor. Yeah, but one who waits for a great man like the doctor to die so that he can get his hands on the insurance money. You think that's why his daughter objected to the change? Of course. But his money will be used to further his work by me. And, of course, for the good of humanity. I uh, see. Well, how soon do you think the doctor will be through with this experiment? An hour, perhaps two. 
And then he will call me in to assist him with the next, the crucial step. Uh, but now, about now, look, why don't I run in town, arrange for a place to stay, grab a bite to eat, and then come back here, huh? If you like. I'm sorry we have no room in the cottage. No, don't give it a second out. thought. I'll see you later. Something of Harry Branson's hunch had passed on to me. A strange feeling about the whole setup. There was something wrong about both Merrill and Nash, particularly the latter. Something I couldn't quite put my finger on. Was Dr. Merrill afraid of Nash? I don't know. Item two, a dollar even for a quick bite in a little cafe along the highway after I'd made arrangements for a room for the night in a private home. It was not much over an hour later when I drove back to the little cottage by the lake. And then I heard it. Someone pounding on the door of the laboratory from the inside. Someone calling for help. Professor! But the lock's on the inside. Turn the lock. What? Bolt here on the... Oh, what are you... Oh. Thank you, man. Good Lord, Professor. What happened to you? You look like you've been run over by... Dr. Merrill. Too late. Too late. Professor, what happened here? He beat me. Threw acid at me. The doctor? No. The man... Then he killed the doctor with a gun. He killed him. Oh, Professor. Who? I... I don't know. Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. Democracy. To the many who have lived under tyranny, democracy comes as a guiding light, shining on a brighter future. That is because democracy stands for the establishment of government conceived from deep thought and free choice, rather than being based on accident and force. It is also normal that the free choice of a democratic government happens because people who choose their own government are directed by true interests in the welfare of mankind. Democracy has been proven to be mankind's greatest legacy of freedom. Now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Clever Chemist Matter. Expense account item three, ten dollars for the services of one Dr. Frederick Foote, the only resident medico in the little town of Malaga, New Jersey. After pronouncing Dr. Walter Merrill dead, he took the badly beaten Professor Nash to his office clinic. While waiting for Nash to get in good enough shape to talk, I ran up item four, ten cents, phone call to the sheriff, who promised to come over as soon as he could enlist the aid of the nearby state police. Finally, Dr. Foote gave the word. But I suggest you talk with him as little as possible, Mr. Dollar. In pretty bad shape, huh, Dr. Foote? The intruder not only beat him severely, but threw a bottle of acid in his face. Oh? Professor Nash will never have the use of his left eye again because of that nitric acid. Has Nash said anything that might help us identify the assailant and killer? No. Now, please don't talk with him too long. Uh, Professor? Yes. Yes. Hello, Professor. Oh, Mr. Dollar... I will never see again with my left eye. He has told me. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. 
But the great Dr. Merrill, he is dead. What a loss. Professor. <laughs> Professor, tell me, did you see the man who attacked you? Yes. Can you describe him at all? Yes, you know, young, not more than 30, five feet, six or eight, very heavy, yes. stocky, and black curly hair. Yeah. Hands like a working man, laborer. Come Have you ever seen this man before? No, I... <coughs> oh, here. Some water. Thank you, thank you. Do you know why he came in and attacked you and Dr. Murray? No. Was he after something there in the laboratory? Only to kill Dr. Merrill. I tried. I tried to defend him. I'm sorry, Mr. Dollar, but I think that's enough. Yes, yes, okay, Dr. Foote. I think I've heard enough. I managed to get back to the cottage by the lake before the police arrived and came up with one very damning piece of evidence. In one of the bedrooms, I found a picture of a wedding couple. It was inscribed... Love to the dearest father in the world. And next to the bride stood a man who answered perfectly the description Professor Nash had just given me. The husband of Dr. Merrill's daughter, Howard Harding. And then I, I thought of what Nash had said about Harding. His antagonism, his conviction that Harding was the one who resented the change in the insurance policy. But there was something else, too. That had happened when I talked with Nash in the doctor's office that... Hmm... By the time I got back to the laboratory, the sheriff and state police arrived. The sheriff, I'm afraid, must up any prints that might have been left on the bottle of acid. However, in the weeds outside, a state trooper found the pistol, a 38 caliber Luger that had killed Dr. Merrill. Fingerprints had apparently been wiped off, but the gun was carefully... Fingerprints. Before taking off in a mad dash back to Philadelphia, I stopped at Dr. Foote's and picked up one water tumbler. Item 5, 370 for a tank full of gas. Item 6, 50 cents. Parking in Philadelphia as close as possible to Harry Branson's office. John, what have you found out about Dr. Merrill? Harry, he's dead. Oh, dear. Now listen, write down the address of Mr. and Mrs. Howard Harding for me. His daughter, does she know? No, she doesn't know yet, and I hope I can avoid telling her before I write it down, will you, man? Well, yes, of course, Take this. Don't unwrap it, but see that it gets to Ray Kemper at the Federal Bureau fast. I'll check with him about it later, thanks. But, now, John... Harry, this is one time this expense account of mine is going to save you a lot of money. I think. I don't know how many red lights I skipped on the drive out to West Philadelphia, but I felt like a hound dog in a hot scent. The home of Mr. and Mrs. Howard Harding turned out to be in a nice, quiet residential area. I was met at the door by the girl in the wedding picture. A tall, very nice-looking blonde in her late 20s. Oh, yes? Mrs. Harding... I'm Terry Hardy. Well, I'm Johnny Dollar from your father's insurance company. Oh, good. Come in. Perhaps you can help me make him do something about that policy of his. Well, uh, that isn't exactly... Someone has poisoned Daddy's mind, Mr. Dollar. Oh? What do you mean? It isn't that I need the money if Daddy dies, which heaven forbid. Oh. It doesn't exactly look as though you do. Well, of course we don't. Howard's been doing so wonderfully at Colonial Aviation. Yes, apparently. And I'd had a notion he was just a... Labor or something. Oh, dear, no. That's what Daddy called him because... Well, because he wasn't too fond of Howard. And that is the way Howard started before we were married. But now he's one of the officers of the company. Uh, where is he, Mrs. Harding? Well, as a matter of fact, I thought you were Howard when you drove up just now. He's been fishing. 
Fishing? On some little lake over in Jersey. He goes every Saturday all by himself. Malaga Lake? No, Malaga's where Daddy was. Mm-hmm. He and that. That what, Mrs. Harding? Right. I don't know. It's Howard, I guess. What do you mean? Howard has never liked or trusted him, even though they've never actually met. When Daddy changed his insurance to name that professor, there is something wrong about that man, Mr. Dollar. What, Mrs. Harding? I don't know. Daddy always worked alone until he came along. Daddy's such an alert, bright-eyed little busybody in spite of his age. Your father... Like a cute little wound-up spring, hopping about like a... Mrs. Harding. Yes? Mrs. Harding, when I saw your father... You've seen Daddy. Well, then you know what I mean. He was tired. Almost in a daze. He spoke with difficulty. Oh, no. You're mistaken. He chatters away like a jaybird. He... What is it, Mr. Dollar? Well, he must have been doped. He looked as though... Hi, honey. Well, I'm just as lousy a fisherman as usual. Not a single... Oh, excuse me. Mr. Harding, just tell me one thing. Well, that depends. Who are you? Mr. Dollar's from the insurance company, darling. Not Johnny Dollar. Yeah, that's right. Well, I've certainly heard of you. Uh, tell me... No, you tell me, Harding. Where have you been? Why, fishing. Where? Over in Jersey. Where in Jersey? Little private lake. Where? Over near Mount Holly. One place I know of where nobody else ever goes, where I can get rid of the cobwebs at my job. Hey, wait a minute, Dollar. What is this? Harding, you've been identified as the man who murdered Dr. Walter Merrill. What? I'm sorry, Mrs. Harding. I'm sorry, but it's true. What are you talking about, Dollar? You didn't know about it? Of course not. How could I? Where did it happen? How? At his place in Malaga. Oh. Professor Nash. I'll kill that man. You'll take it easy. You seem to forget that so far you're the only suspect in the case. You're out of your mind. Who was anybody? It was that Nash. Never have trusted that man. And the insurance policy. If anybody killed Dr. Merrill, it was that professor. Now listen to me. Nash was with Dr. Merrill when he was killed there in his laboratory. Of course he was. But Nash was attacked also, beaten, acid thrown at him. He lost the sight of one eye because of it. And I tell you... You sure? Yes, of course I'm sure. It was I who found them, Nash beating against the inside of the door of that laboratory, crying for help. A door that was bolted on the outside. But, Dollar, I... You're sure of that? I'm sure. Well, I still think... Oh, Terry, I'm sorry, honey. Here, let me... Howard, it's so terrible. Better answer that phone, Howard. Yeah. Hello? Yes? Oh, yes. It's uh, for you, Mr. Dollar. Oh, thanks. Terry, come on. You've got to pull yourself together. Johnny Dollar. Right. John, this is Harry Branson. I just received a call from Mr. Kemper at the Federal Bureau. Yes. He says he must see you immediately. Call him back, Harry. Tell him I'll be there in 15 minutes. Harding, just to keep things straight, I wouldn't leave this house if I were you. Well, now, wait a minute, just Dollar. Just sit tight. I think you're in the clear. More red lights got passed up on my way into the Philadelphia offices of the Bureau. So Ray Kemper felt that whatever he'd found was important. If so, it would back up one of my suspicions. But in view of the circumstances, that bolted door in the laboratory, for instance, how could it? Important is putting it mildly, Johnny. The prints you found on the water glass, Ray. Three sets. One, yours. Yeah, well, naturally. Two, uh, Dr. Frederick Foote, who is currently practicing medicine. I know, I know, in the town of Malaga, New Jersey. That's where the glass came from. Oh, but the third set of prints. Yes. I had to go into the international file for them. And Johnny... Nash? Theodore Nash? Nash? Nashevsky. What? Theodore Nashevsky. Chemist from one of our not-so-friendly countries. Huh? Expert on explosives. One time, he was thought to have attempted to enter this country. 
That was in 1940. Ray, have you got any pictures on him? Plenty. From the time he was a kid. Uh, here. Tell me how you picked up these prints. The beard in this picture. That looks like him, all right. Yeah, this too. The shaved head. Almost as though he tried to keep changing his appearance. Johnny, oh, Wait it... a sec, wait a sec. This picture of him as a youngster, this eye patch on his left eye. Our dossier is pretty complete. He was quite an athlete until he injured that eye. But it doesn't show in these other pictures, and he hasn't a glass eye. No, his eye always looked perfectly natural. Now, Johnny, if you have information... Ray, I... this has done it for me. Thanks. Hey, now, just a I'll minute. see you. Hey, Johnny! This is Kemper. Give me a man to tail Johnny Dollar. All the way back to Malaga, New Jersey, I hoped my rental car would hold together. It did, in spite of the fact I pushed it all the way. International intrigue is a bit out of my line, but this time, so help me, I was beginning to feel like an FBI man. I stopped at state police headquarters along the way, and according to them, Nash was off the hook. Not only because of the acid thrown in his face, but even more important, because of my own testimony that I'd found them locked in that laboratory. I stopped again at the lab. Nothing. Then back to Dr. Futsal's. Very well, Mr. Dollar. When they arrive, I'll insist that they wait for you. All right, thanks, Doctor. Well, Professor, you're sitting up. Oh, have they found anything, Mr. Dollar? Have they found the man who attacked us and killed poor Dr. Merrill? Professor, I think I have. Oh? But tell me something. Yes, of course. Your, uh, your government doesn't pay you very well, does it? Merrill and I were not working for the government, Mr. Dollar. Although, of course, the results of our work... I'm talking about your government, your own real boss. I do not understand. No doubt it's very much interested in anything this country develops in the line of guided missiles, that sort of thing. Mr. Dollar... Now, let me go on. Merrill was doing important work. Stuff that would be of great value to any country in the world. Of course. Your country would have paid you well for the results of his work. But, brother, they'll never get it. I do not know what you are talking Money, about. Money, the loot from Merrill's insurance, sure. Sure, it was enough to get you out of here after you'd gained the knowledge you need of Merrill's work. See here, Dollar. After you'd killed him, before he could give to his country, the United States, what he'd invented. You are a fool. Come... I was beaten, The poor too. old man put up a pretty stiff fight, didn't he? Do you think I would have done this to myself? You My gave eyes... yourself away earlier when you reached out for a glass of water I handed you right here in this room. A man who'd lost his sight in one eye would have lost his aim until he got used to it. Funny, though, it didn't come to me until you later. You are mad. You haven't seen out of that left eye since you were a kid. I tell you, you are mad. And a little acid burn to make it look like somebody had thrown it at you would be well worth the alibi it gave you. Feodor. That's right, Feodor Nashevsky. Uh, listen to me. You you were the one who found us locked in the door bolted from the outside. You found us. Yeah, also the cord, the string you used to pull the bolt, too. That you looped over the bolt and pulled after you got inside. You couldn't have. I dropped it in the vat of acid. Thanks. I was bluffing. But I made a lucky guess. What? <laughs> oh, what a brain. Nashevsky, I'm sure glad you're not working on our side. <laughs> the capsule he fished out of his pocket never got to his mouth. And I'm afraid he won't see very well out of his other eye for a while. My knuckles still hurt. And it was lucky for him that the police arrived. I'm afraid I don't like guys like him. Expense account total, including all the incidentals I could think of, and transportation back to Hartford, eighty-four thirty-five. Remarks? Well, don't beef on this one, Harry. The criminal, in spite of being the name beneficiary, doesn't get paid. 
Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a real close look at a little-known but very dramatic side of Hollywood. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Duff. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey... From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. You smell smoke, Johnny? What'd you say? Who is that? This is Henry Willoughby at Four State Mutual Insurance Company. Oh, hi, Hank. And I asked if you smell smoke. Should I? What kind? The kind $5,000 makes when it goes up in flames. Where? Over in Cranford, the Peerless Junkyard. Junkyard? That's right. But if there's only a $5,000 loss, how can you afford me? Because what I smell is arson. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, act one of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Four State Mutual Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Peerless Fire matter. Expense account item one, a dollar even, cab to Hank Willoughby's office in the Security National Building, where he lost no time in getting to the point. Policy was taken out by one Oscar H. Lehman about four years ago. He's the owner of the junkyard. Address of the yard is corner of Howard and Kingsway Boulevard. And why do you suspect arson, Hank? Our fire didn't start until about four o'clock this morning. When I got here to the office a few minutes after nine, the claim was already on my desk. Almost as though he'd had it filled out and waiting even before the fire occurred, huh? Precisely. How much do you know about this man, Layman? Well, nothing really outside of the data on the policy. His home address is uh, 232 East 4th Street. Also in Cranford. Yeah. Okay, Hank. I'll see what I can see. <laughs> Item 2, 40 cents phone call to make sure the suspect, or at this point, I guess I'd better call him a client, to make sure he'd be around for questions. Here speaks Oscar Lehman. Mr. Lehman, this is Johnny Dollar representing your insurance company. So why do you waste time at the telephone? Well, then maybe you're coming here with my check for $5,000 right away, huh? Well, you see, there are a couple of things that... So uh... all right, I'll be waiting for you when you come with the money. Goodbye. Huh? Item 3, 120 for a train ticket to Cranford. Item four, two dollars for an old rattletrap taxi when I got there. Cranford is a new town, or rather a new one built on what was left of the old. When the big clock company folded up at the end of World War II, Cranford kind of fell to pieces. But situated as it was, just a few miles above the busy city of New Haven, 
A bunch of smart New York operators had stepped in and were busy making a nice modern residential community out of it. New stores, new homes, and all the fixings. Uh, you see there in the block up there ahead? Huh? They had a big fire there this day, a big junkyard. Yeah, I see. Man, it was really hot. Thought it was going to take the three houses there on Howard Street along with it. You know, flying embers and the heat and all. But the wind swung around. They didn't even get touched. Yeah, well, uh, pull up, will you? I want to look it over. Okay, Mister, you're the boss. Hey, you want me to keep the meter running? No, I'll leave you here. Okay. That's uh, 85 cents. Uh, but it would have been a buck and a half to where you first wanted to go. <laughs> okay. Hey, uh... Hey, thanks. Boy, how I hate to see that junkyard gone. Oh? Why? Oh, well, that's where I've been buying my parts to keep this old crate tied together. You know something? It looks so. Uh, <laughs> now that Peerless is gone, I'll probably either have to get a new cab or either try and fix this one up right, you know, and that costs dough. Yeah, well, happy fixing. Yeah, like I say, though, out of something bad, always comes something good. Sure. And, and I not only mean my taxi, mister, but them houses there, too. Well, what about that? Oh, they're on Howard Street. They've been beefing their heads off ever since the yard got its license. So now, no more junkyard. Now the whole place could be residential like it ought to. Like I always say, out of something bad, um, always something, something good, yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. I got to get going. Hey, you know something? Maybe that fire gives me a good idea. Like uh, maybe I should burn up this old wreck of mine and the insurance company would have to give me a new one. Hey, how about that? Maybe you'd better be careful who you say that to. Hmm? Oh, sure. Especially not to an insurance investigator. Yeah, like well, me. don't you worry, bud. I'm too smart. You? You? That's right. <laughs> oh, happy day. In spite of the valiant efforts of Fire Chief Dale Marley and his crew, the peerless junkyard was just that junk. And he agreed with the cab driver. The other property owners were probably glad to see the eyesore go up in flames. Well, you wouldn't like it either, Dollar, having a place like that in your front yard. And just take a look at those folks standing around. You'll see what I mean. Yeah, I must admit they don't look very unhappy about it. So the fire started in the shed that stood right here, huh? That's right, yeah. The big shed that Peerless used to store a lot of old furniture and stuff like that. Hey, Peter, huh? hit that corner over there with some more foam. Okay, sir. Yeah, a fellow runs a grocery store on the caddy corner. He sleeps upstairs over it. Said it woke him up. Went off with a boom, like a like a small explosion. Have you considered the possibility of arson, Chief? Yeah, yeah, I have. That's why I called New Haven and asked them to send up a couple of men from their special squad. But you found no trace. Nothing I could put my finger on. You got any ideas? Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe I have. I learned a long time ago that a lumber yard or a furniture factory were about the worst places in the world to look for signs of arson. The wood goes up so hot and so fast. And the remains of the shed wouldn't be much better. So I walked over to the little grocery store and spent item five, 21 cents, for a loaf of white bread. And I rejoined Chief Marley at the ruins of the shed. Hey, hey, what's the matter, Dollar? Forget to eat breakfast? Oh, something like that. Hey, you want a chunk? <laughs> Not without strawberry jam and a cup of coffee. Hey, Herb, take it easy over there. Stomping around like that, you wipe out all the clues. Now, like I told you, Dollar, the fire started somewhere right around here. Uh And the quick shift in the wind moved it over that way. Uh Uh-huh, Chief. Yeah. Here, chew a piece of this fresh bread. What? That's right, chew it. Get the taste of it in your mouth. What for? Just do it, will you please? Here. Well, you got an idea, Sam? You bet I have. Here. 
between chewing on a hunk of bread is going is going to what? I'll swallow it. What is this? A gag or something? No, not by a long shot. Now watch. Well, don't throw it away. <laughs> now you got my appetite up. I'll have some more. Here now. Chew on this piece. What? After you dropped it in the ashes? That's right. Chew on it. Oh, now Go wait. Ahead, do it. I'm serious. Holy kerosene. That's right. Well, I'll be doggone. Yeah. Fresh bread will pick up even the slightest trace. Even after the fire? Even after a fire. That means kerosene was brought in and poured over the floor of this furniture shed to set it off. And, Dollar, I'm going to get in the police and have them lock up old Oscar Lehman so No, no, wait. What for? Until I can talk to Lehman. Well, now, look. You look. This isn't any absolute proof of arson. Well, it's good enough for me. It's good enough for a suspicion charge. I'll tell the police what I found out. What, uh, who found out? Well, uh, what I found out. Now, don't forget that. But if it puts us on the trail of an arsonist, if you like, you can take the credit for it. Only if you'll cooperate. Yeah, but, Dollar... Otherwise, you'll lose any cooperation from me. Okay? Uh, okay. Item 680 cents cab to the address on East 4th Street where Oscar Lehman lived. Like the Howard Street address, this was a has-been section. Lehman's home reminded me of some of those on the other side of the town, next to the junkyard. When the old character let me in, I wasted no time in getting to the point. You ask why I should be staying here in my home instead of at the yard? <laughs> And I'm asking you, why not? What good can I do over there? My lovely junkyard is gone. There's nothing I can do. So I'm waiting here to collect the money your company owes me. So are you going to pay me or not? Well, now, that depends. As I started to say... I tell you, I didn't even know about the fire till I went down there to open up the gate and start the day. What time did you go down there, Mr. Lehman? Seven o'clock, like always. Well, you sure didn't waste any time getting your claim into the office in Hartford, did you? Of course not. So soon as I see what happened, I sign up the claim and take it to Hartford. And the office is closed, so I leave it under the door. Yeah, well... What else could I do? Sit around and wait to think about it while the money's coming to me? It's my money, so I should have it. You know how much merchandise I have in that yard? Twenty, $25,000. Retail? Yeah. Then why'd you burn it up? You think I'm crazy I should do such a thing? Don't you understand? Now I'm out of business for God. Oh, what do you mean? My, my license for the yard on condition, you know. A conditional license? Yeah, that's right. If I'm not in business every day, I lose the license. I lose the lease on the land. Then they, they make houses, little stores. It's a big development company. So you're crazy to come and talk to me, tell me I should set fire. Maybe I've suddenly changed my mind, Mr. Lehman. Maybe I've already met the arsonist. Huh? And I was just too blind to see him. of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Our flag now numbers 50 stars. And behind each star, there stands yet another flag representing one of the 50 states. Missouri's state flag is a horizontal tricolor of red, white, and blue. In the center is a circular device bearing the state coat of arms. An eagle, symbolizing the superior authority of the nation, 
A grizzly bear representing Missouri, chosen for his size, strength, and valor. And a crescent moon, symbolic of the shield carried by the second sun. Missouri being the second state carved out of the Louisiana Territory. A belt encircles the coat of arms with a motto inscribed, United we stand, divided we fall. Atop the flag is a cluster of stars representing the Union, with a larger star for Missouri as she surmounts her difficulties and assumes her rank among the states. The state motto is also inscribed on the flag, Salus Populi Suprema Lex Esto. The welfare of the people shall be the supreme law. Surrounding the device is a group of 24 stars. Missouri's state flag, the flag of the 24th state to enter the Union, was adopted on March 22, 1913. And now, Act Two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Peerless Fire Matter. the cab driver had said while taking me to the scene of the junkyard fire had suddenly come back to me. He'd been talking about the nearby property owners, homeowners. They've been beefing their head off ever since the yard got its license. So now, no more junkyard. Now the whole place can be residential like it ought to. Yeah, like I always say, out of something bad, always comes something good. Item 785 cents, another taxi back to the scene of the fire. The men from the department were still busy cleaning up. Their chief, Dale Miley, had been busy with some detective work. Had some answers that seemed to make good sense. Now, look here, Dolly. You see this hardware? See this groove in the foundation wall? Yeah. Big sliding door, huh? That's right. And here, the lock was still in a hasp. Yeah, I see. It's hardly likely somebody tried to pull a big sliding door closed and lock it after starting a fire with kerosene. It's too dangerous. Unless he used a wick of some kind. Yeah, yeah, but look here. On the side that faced Howard Street. Street? I just call this an alley. Yeah, pretty narrow from the old days. Now, look here. Well, it's window glass. Right. Yeah, there was a window here. You see, here's, here's the two parts of the catch from it. The catch was open. Yeah, but the question is, was it open from the inside or outside? And I think I've got the answer. Look across the street. So? Those homes and the little lawns and gardens in front of them. So what? Well, you see the rocks they all use to border their flower beds? Uh, go on, Chief. Now, look here. Just inside the shed where the window was, I found this rock under the ashes. And, Dollar, it looks to me like somebody threw that rock through the glass, opened the catch, climbed in, spread the kerosene, climbed out, tossed in a light of some kind, and left in a hurry. Yeah, but who? That's just it. You got a better idea than old man Lehman? You talk to him. Yeah, I think I have. Like who? I'll let you know when I find out the name. Well, now, wait a minute, Dollar. I hope that last crack would keep Chief Marley from sending the police after Oscar Lehman. Maybe he was guilty of firing his own junkyard. But with only 5,000 insurance, it didn't make sense. And I had a couple of better ideas. At least about people who might have had reason to do it. Three, as a matter of fact. Four, there were three residences on Howard Street facing what remained of the junkyard. Thanks to the sudden shift of wind, they'd received little damage. I walked down the short length of Howard Street to the first old house. The name Howard McNeil was on the little metal mailbox. Yes, well, what is it? Mr. McNeil, I'm Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator, looking into this junkyard fire. Huh. This is a fine time to come around selling insurance after the fire's out. 
You should know better, young fellow. No, you misunderstood me. I'm Why, not do you know what would have happened if that wind hadn't changed? It would have set this whole block on fire. That's what it would have done. It would have burned us all out. We'd have been helpless. Yes, Mr. McNeil. that poor widow lady, Miss Cummings, down there in the third house, right across from the shed where the whole thing started. Mr. McNeil. Yes? I'm not here to sell insurance. I'm investigating the fire, understand? Well, don't. What's that? You can stop right now. Just leave things as they be. Don't you know that fire was a blessing? I'm not quite sure I... I said blessing. That fire was the finest thing that's happened around here in years. Oh, you like its having happened, huh? You just bet I do. The only way we could ever get rid of that awful pile of junk right in our front yards. Now, maybe they'll give us back our nice little park that used to sit there. Or build a lot of track houses. Yeah, now... all right. What do they do? Anything is better than that wretched junkyard. I've hated it. Everybody's hated it. I hated it. Enough to set it on fire? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Oh, no. <laughs> Me? Well? <laughs> Mr. Dollar. <laughs> Uh, a quiet, peace-loving person like me? Oh, no. Why, I wouldn't even think of such a thing. <laughs> Especially since that fire might have got out of control and burned me out. Well, you carry insurance, of course. I do not. I don't believe in it. No, so don't you try to tell me it. I told you I'm an investigator. Well, why don't you ask that Nazi if he had insurance? Nazi? Yes, that Oscar Lehmann that owned that dirty junkyard. Why do you call him that? Well, he's a German, isn't he? Well, that doesn't make him a Nazi. Well, it does to me. Anybody who'd wangle a license to put up a filthy place like that on our beautiful street, especially if he's a German, well, to me, he's a Nazi of the worst kind, the worst kind, the very worst kind. Thinks he's a ladies' man, too. All right, now, have you any idea who, besides you, would have liked to see that place burned out? I certainly have. Oh. Why don't you ask the police? They were here at dawn asking us all questions. You said asking us all. Of course, I... Mentioned the widow Cummings that lived in the third house, and, and then there's Miss Gertrude Mary Anastasia Conroy, the nice spinster lady who lives next door, and it's a very charming lady, Miss Conroy. Yeah, well, now would you oh, mind? Oh, and what spirit she has. Now, that's the way I like them, Mr. Dollar. Ladies with spirit. And do you know something? One of these days, I'm going to ask her for a date in, in spite of the competition. <laughs> you never have? No, oh, no, sir, no, no. I'm, I'm not the bold type like some people I know. And I've, I've been working up to it. And how long have you been a neighbor? It's Sixteen years. And you mark my word. One of these days, I'm going to march right up on her front porch. And Miss Conroy, I'm going to say. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Mister. Uh, yes, but I was going to tell you, but uh, oh dear, I must have said something wrong. Wanting. Miss Conroy? That's right. And don't you see the sign beside the door? No peddlers, no solicitations. So be gone with you. I'm busy cleaning the smoke. Got to be house for that offer of fire this morning. Well, that's what I'm calling about, ma'am. That fire. I'm an insurance investigator. Investigator, huh? Well, now, just a... If you're an investigator, young man, let me see your badge. Badge? That's right. If you're an investigator, you're a detective. And if you're one of them, you're with the police, Mark. No, 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 you... And if you... you are, you can go right back and tell your chief I've had me feel right up to here with answering full questions about that fire. As if I myself did it, huh? Well, did you? For years now, I've connived and connipped it how to get that terrible, dirty, filthy junkyard out of this neighborhood. 
And now, poor soul, he's lost it. I could cry my eyes out. You what? Oh, such a lovely old man he is when I finally met him, that dear Mr. Lehman. Oh? Oh, the horrible things that Hitler done to him before he escaped him Nazis that took over his fine old country. And when he got here, he put all his savings in that lovely second-hand lot. So he could earn an honest living. I'm afraid I don't understand. Such a fine man. Such a gentleman. The way he'd click his heels and bow when he come calling on Sunday afternoon. Wait a minute, Miss Conroy. I don't get it. A couple of minutes ago, you sounded as though you hated that junkyard. Second-hand lot. Oh. And so I did. Until I got to know that nice Mr. Lehman. And I'll tell you this. In spite and despite the fact they won't ever let him set up in the same kind of business again. If it takes every cent I own, I'll see that he gets started in something else. Well, I'll be... Investigator, huh? Insurance investigator. And then I suppose I can tell you confidential that I've set me cap for dear Oscar. You mean you hope to marry him? Aye, and that I will before I'm through. But I got the impression that your neighbor, Mr. McNeil... Oh, that crazy old stick in the mud, that old coot, but if you're from the insurance company, how can I help you, lad, with your uh, investigation thing? Well, you can't tell me this. Was your friend, Mr. Lehman, in need of uh, money, particularly? Uh, well, no. Uh, his business has been good. He drives a nice car and keeps a nice home. But like I said, if he needs more than he's got to get started again, I'll be the first to help him. Besides, it will sort of help to bring us closer together if I'm worrying about him a bit. No, won't it? <laughs> yes. yes, I guess it will. I just want to oh, make sure. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah? It's so blind I was thinking of me, darling Oscar. So that's what you were up to with your nasty questions. What? Implication that he might have burned up his place by his own self to get the insurance money. Is that what your evil, filthy mind was thinking of? I didn't say that. But that's what you meant, now, ain't it? No, no, after all, somebody set that fire. And if he was in need of money... And just because I told the poor soul to get his claim in real quick this morning... You told him. Of course I did. Give him something to do besides standing around in the ruins, crying his poor old eyes out, keeping his sorrows to himself. Mm. But I'll soon put a stop to that. I'll cook him up a real nice mess of corned beef and cabbage, a German style, that is, and take it over for his supper to comfort and keep him company. And what will you be doing for the poor soul? Uh, well, that depends. Oh, it depends, does it? Well, you and that insurance company better pay up what you owe him instead of making snide talk about maybe he himself set that fire and his... Oh, get out. Go on, get out. Why should I be wasting my time talking to the likes of you when I've got cooking to do for me? <laughs> oh, brother. This was turning out to be the most offbeat insurance matter I ever handled. Well, there was only one suspect left. The woman living in the third house opposite the shed where the fire had started. The widow Cummings, McNeil had called her. I went up on the porch, rang the doorbell. And again. After the third time, I was about to decide no one was home when the door slowly opened. And just inside the door, in a wheelchair, sat a little old lady, pale, gray-haired. Her face reflected years of pain. I've been waiting for you to come, Mr. Dollar. You know who I am. I overheard you at my window when you talked to Mr. McNeil and Miss Conroy. 
Listening to the neighborhood is the only thing I have left these days. Tied down as I am to this wheelchair. Yes, I see. I'm sorry. Come in and sit down, please. Thanks. There's uh, no one to take care of you here? Only Rudolph, who does as little as he dares. And you must take him away, Mr. Dollar. Rudolph? My stepson, who keeps me here, waits for me to die. What? Not even a rest home where I'd have care and friends but here to die. He'd help me die, too, if he dared, because of the money. What money, Mrs. Cummings? That my husband left me. A lot, Mr. Dollar. And this Rudolph wants to get his hands on it? That's all he wants. That's why he wants me dead. But he hasn't dared kill me. Because everybody knows that we're alone here together. And if I should die from his neglect, they'd know he did it. But he's smart. That's why he thought of the fire. He what? He thought that it would burn down this house, too, and trap me here. Mrs. Cummings, do you know what you're saying? The divine providence. The changing wind kept the fire away. He set that fire to burn this house and you? He's clever. He made it known that he'd be away all night, that he wouldn't be back here until he finished his work at the plant in New Haven. But he came back, Mr. Dollar, this morning before dawn. I heard him here in this house. And from this window, I could see him in the moonlight. Mrs. Cummings. No, I must tell you. Quickly, because he'll be coming back from work. His work. To keep up appearances, to keep them from suspecting. His gambling. The terrible people he goes out with at night. Gangsters, that's all. And I must tell you. Because if I don't... Listen to me. I'm listening. I saw him. Take a can. The kerosene we keep in the cellar. But when the electricity goes out... He took it across the street. He broke the window of the shed and went in. Then he came out. He threw a piece of burning waste back in. Then ran. Mrs. Cummings, are you sure? I lied to the police. I couldn't make myself tell them. After all these years of knowing what he's been and saying nothing. Well, I thought I'd wait for him. Maybe when he saw his evil plan had failed, that I was still here. Maybe I could make him give himself up. But in my heart, I knew he wouldn't. Because he's bad. All bad. Mrs. Cummings, I'm glad you told me. God forgive me. But I knew, I knew that if I didn't, he'd find some other way to... You must take him away, Mr. Dollar. Before he does murder. Expense account item eight, ten dollars Board and room. I've stayed an extra day in Cranford to clear things up. For while I waited for Rudolph to return, I found the kerosene can he'd used down in the cellar. Chief Marley found the top from it in the ashes. The police have since found only his prints on it. Rudolph was in the city jail. 
And I'm sure Mrs. Cummings will testify against him. After all, her life is at stake. Hoskett Lehman, his claim will be paid in full. Well, I hope he and Miss Conroy live happily ever after. Expense account total, including incidentals on the way back to Hartford, $14.46. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, exploration in the high Sierra country of California. And at the end of the trail lies death. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote tonight's story. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Peggy Weber, John Stevenson, Herb Vigran, Hans Conrad, Boris Lewis, and Parley Bear. Musical supervision is by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Dan Coverley speaking.